Lord Jesus, we have come to meet with you. Lord, I pray that we already have been meeting with you. Would you just continue to pour out your presence on us this morning? As we come to your word, uh, would you just come and, and bring it to life in our midst? Would you illuminate your word to us, Lord Jesus? Come, Holy Spirit, have your way. Your kingdom come, your will be done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, we kind of had a bit of a, a detour because uh, many in leadership, myself included, were sick and we kind of had to scramble. And so Dan was gracious enough to find out Saturday evening and come and share Sunday morning. Uh, and if you've never had to do that before, it's a bit of a roller coaster. And so thank you, uh, Dan, for stepping up and doing that. And so uh, I'm going to continue uh, along the line where we were preaching before uh, and what we were talking about before. And it was one of the, the, the greatest things that we as followers of Jesus had been called to. There's this great thing in Matthew 28 called the Great Commission, one of Jesus' last words to his disciples. And he says this, therefore, go and make what? I love it. Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus' parting words to his disciples were go and make more disciples. This is the, we call it the Great Commission. It's the mission that the church has been on ever since. Go and make disciples. Of all nations, everywhere you go, you are to be making disciples. We've been saying this for the last couple of weeks. We are all of us called to be disciples who make disciples. We're called to be followers of Jesus who help other people follow Jesus. One of the problems that we've had with this in the American church is we kind of have a lot of different definitions of what a disciple is. And so what we've been doing is walking through a definition of a disciple that our denomination has come up with. And it's really helpful because it's not some like new thing, but actually what it is, is it's closer to what the original disciples would have thought of when they heard, go make disciples. For them, it was a very cultural thing. Everyone thought the same thing when they thought about a rabbi and his disciples, because they were seeing it all the time. We're 2,000 years removed, and so there's been a lot of time for people to go, I think it's kind of like this, and I think it's kind of like that, and it can get muddy. So when we hear, go and make disciples, if we all think different things, we're all going to kind of head in different directions, and that can get dangerous. So what I want to do is just give us this common definition of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. So we've been walking through it kind of line by line. There's four parts to it. Today we're going to talk about the third part. But a disciple is one who is called by Christ. There's this moment of come follow me, of calling out that every disciple has experienced a disciple is one who is called by Christ into loving relationship with Christ. We weren't just called to some taskmaster and he said, okay, I'm just handing out orders and just go do the thing. But we were called into this loving relationship with Jesus where he says, yes, come follow me. And, and there is, hey, here's the things I want you to do. But all of it is in the context of this loving relationship that we've been called into. We've been called, into love, or called by Christ into loving relationship with Christ. Here's the new part. For the purpose of becoming like Christ. Notice how each line ends with Christ. Weird how that just accidentally happened, right? Like, 
All of this is centered around Christ. We are disciples of Christ. This is all about him, called by him into loving relationship with him. And today we look at for the purpose of becoming like him. Have you ever wondered what your purpose is? Have you ever had one, like it's one of those existential moments that people have when they just go, why am I here? And like, you ever like been trying to pick between maybe jobs or cities to live in? And those purpose questions start to come in of like, man, where is God telling me to go? And what is God telling me to do? And we start to ask some of these purpose questions. And each of us has a very unique purpose. God has wired us very uniquely, and and you and I are very different, and we approach things different, and that's beautiful. But we also all kind of fall under this umbrella purpose. We all share a common purpose, to become like Christ. It's going to look different in each of our lives, but this is something that we all have to unite around, to lock arms around. We have all been called to the same purpose. Romans 8.28, I actually mentioned this passage earlier, but it talks about this purpose that we share. It says, we know that in all things, or all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Okay, so God has this purpose that he is working things together and kind of calling his people toward. And what is that purpose? For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God's purpose ultimately in all of our lives is to become like Jesus, to be conformed into his image. You see, sometimes when we talk about this idea of purpose, we sell it a little short. We ask a lot of what questions. When we think about purpose, we go, what am I supposed to do? What what is my job supposed to be? Or, Or we ask maybe some where questions. I have this purpose. God is calling me, but is he calling me to live here or to live here, to work here or to work there? And it's not that those are unimportant questions, but truly they're secondary. Ultimately, if we're asking the right question when it comes to purpose, we should be asking questions about who. Who is he calling me to become? Who has he created me to be? Because that travels. Once I figure out the who, I can do that here or there. I can do that in this job or in that job. Our purpose is tied to our who, and and praise God that it is. Because if our purpose was tied to a what, many people, like as, as a pastor, we struggle with this because like making disciples is important, right? And the church is important. And and so pastors, we struggle with this like everybody else. We go, my purpose is to be a pastor. What happens when I stick my foot in my mouth, I say the wrong thing, and you guys fire me? Uh Uh-oh, did my purpose just go out the window? I hope not. What happens when, okay, I do everything right, but eventually I get old enough where I have to take a step back? Did I just retire from my purpose? Of course not. When we tie our purpose to what and where, we stand on really shaky ground because those can be taken away. But when we understand the purpose we've been called to is a who, is to become like him No one can take that away. That is something I can do anywhere and in any situation. And that's a beautiful gift that we've been given. We have a father that is more interested in who you become than in what you do. We can know those words sometimes, but it's really difficult to actually internalize, to let sink in. He is more concerned about who you are becoming than what you are doing. 
He's more interested in you as a son or a daughter than a worker. He's more interested in you as an image bearer. Like you guys understand in the beginning it says that we were created in his image, right? Through sin, we, we mucked that all up. And now through Christ, he's restoring that image in us. He is more concerned with us as his children and fellow image bearers than just workers because he's trying to get stuff done. You ever stop and think about this? It's kind of freeing. He doesn't need me at all. I'm slowing him down. You know what I mean? You ever like read through the gospels, Jesus with his disciples, and you just go, Jesus, why are you putting up with them? At times, they're idiots. This would be so much faster if you just left them behind and went and did your thing. But he's like, that, the point is not accomplishing. The point is building up these people. That's the whole point of it. And so to walk with people, he's more concerned about who we are becoming than what we're doing. 2 Corinthians 3, we look at this passage a lot. And we who with unveiled faces, real quick, that unveiled faces, it's pointing back to an Old Testament story. It basically just means those of us that have no barrier between us and God. Because of Jesus, the veil has been removed. And like Dan talked about last week, we can enter into the very throne room of God. We can see him face to face. We who with unveiled faces, we reflect the Lord's glory and we're being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the purpose. The veil has been removed. We've been invited into this relationship with him, this, this face-to-face seeing him and reflecting him for the purpose of being transformed into him. And I'm so grateful that he says, with ever-increasing glory, or some translations say, from glory to glory, because it's the idea that it's a process. None of us is, is nailing this perfectly right now but we are in process of being transformed to become more like him. A disciple is one who is called by Christ into a loving relationship with Christ for the purpose of becoming like Christ. If you miss any one of these steps, you're going to get in some real shaky ground called by him into relationship with him to become like him to be formed into his image. Like, we have to understand this. We're constantly being formed every day. The question is, by what and into what? Every single day, we are being formed. Every conversation that we have, every interaction that we have, every show that we watch, every song that we hear, everything in our world is trying to form us. The question is, into what? Are we being formed into the image of the world or are we being formed into the image of Christ? Because in the end, that's the only two options that we're given. Paul says this in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We have two options here, conformed to the world. That word conformed means kind of like packed into a mold, made like cookie cutter type of idea. The world is trying to conform us, each and every person in this church and outside, to its image. The image of the world says, I am God, I'm in control, I make my own decisions. There's a lot of different flavors and it 
a lot of different slogans or groups that you can fit into within that, but in the end, that's ultimately, I'm in charge. That's the, the likeness of the world. The image of Christ is you're in charge. I, I'm here to do what you have called me to do, to become like you, to allow you to work. Those are ultimately the only two options, conformed to this world or transformed into his likeness. None of us stay the same for long. We are all constantly changing and being formed. But by what and into what? Some of you are old enough to be able to look back 10 years. Some of you look back 10 years and you were in diapers. For the rest of us who have lived a little longer, you look back 10 years and you go, I believed completely different things. I thought completely differently. The things that I valued were completely different. And I was sure I was right back then. But now time has gone by. I have been formed, hopefully transformed, and I see things differently. We are all constantly in this process of being formed, but by what and into what? Paul says this, talking to the church in Galatians chapter 4. He says, my children, I am suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. He went, look, each of us is like a child being formed in the womb. Think of the, like the amazing scope that happens in the life of a child in its mother's womb. It, it starts off smaller than we can think and becomes, if you're in my family, big ones, okay? There is an incredible amount of change that happens in this course. And Paul says, this is what the Christian life is like. He's trying to lead these people and walk with these people. And he goes, man, it's painful because I'm watching you at war. Are you going to be formed by the world or transformed by Christ? And, it, and it's painful to walk with. But he says, just like a child in its mother's womb, my prayer for you, everything I'm doing is to lead you so that Christ is formed in you. Is this making sense, church? So let's ask this question. What does it look like not to be formed into Christ? We're going to come there in a second. But what does it look like to be formed into the image of the world Sometimes you find out where you're supposed to go by recognizing where you're not supposed to go. You know what I'm saying? So let's start with kind of the, the opposite. What does it look like to be formed into the image of the world? What does it look like for us? How, how do you know it when you see it? Okay? It's me-centered. Okay? Yeah. There's a number of places where, it's, where there's some things listed in Scripture. Galatians 5 is one that she's kind of talking about. It says, that, like, the fruits of the world. And we read it, and we go, whoa, that's some bad stuff. Certainly not me. I would never do those things, but I'd know it when I saw it. Okay? It's all pleasure-based. It's, it's all satisfaction. It's all, like, kind of right now in our world, very much instant gratification, what makes things the easiest for me? What makes things the, the quote, best for me? Okay? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the image of the world is, is very much this perfected image that we project. We know that it's not true, but it's what we, it's, whether it's through social media or just the way that we present ourselves to people, we want them to think something that isn't true. 
Everyone, I think, instinctively knows this. The image of the world is a facade. We all know those people that we follow on social media, they don't really look like that or act like that all the time, but we still get tricked into it. And we go, that's the goal. That's what I got to aim for. We know that it's a facade, but we still kind of chase after it sometimes. Mm-hmm. But are still very much much of the world like that pastor is okay if he's like yelling and harsh and these things that are not biblical. So it's like you're like kind of blending into sure. like how the world plays, even if like Christianity is over it. Or yeah. it's okay to just say that like there's nothing really wrong with people because we don't want to judge. Yeah. It's sort of the other extreme. There's almost like this conservative or liberal extreme. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, regardless of what side you find yourself on with liberalism, fundamentalism, political line, I mean, regardless of all of those, there's this temptation to kind of like take things that the scripture says pretty pretty clearly are of the world, but to kind of like put a facade of Christianity on them and go, no, 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 it's okay when we do it because we're, we're doing it for Jesus or whatever. And so there's this real danger to call some worldly things Christianity when the scriptures, some of them pretty clearly speak against, and you would never be able to even picture Jesus doing some of those things. But this is part of, again, the, the trickiness of this. Can we just call this evil versus good? You could. You can call it evil versus good. Yeah. It is an evil versus good. The hard part is, again, just in our current context, we all might label evil some different things. Sure. Yeah, yeah. some things that the world would call loving, because it's loving to just, hey, butt out of it, it's none of your business. You know, they can live however they want to live, and they can, and to a point, we would agree. You know, if I don't have a relationship with that person or whatever, who am I to come yelling at them how they should live? Like, so there's some nuance to this, but there comes a point when the most loving thing that I can do is have a really difficult conversation with someone, because I know that eternity hangs in the balance. You know, and like, that's where some of these things can start to get tricky. Anybody else on this? What does it look like to be formed into the image of the world? I think this life is a hard hard thing and when people who are in the image of the world are affected by hard life, their tendency is to see themselves as the victim. Okay. Sure. Okay. It's going to be very difficult to find scripturally victim mentality in believers. Because honestly, they came into it 
already signed up for suffering, already signed up. And so it's hard for them to walk and go, oh, woe is me. They're like, man, look what happened to Jesus. What am I complaining about? You know, and so, but the world has this very victim mentality to it of it's unfair. And like, and here's the thing, as Christians, we would agree, it is unfair. But there's a difference between being a victim and like you've been victimized, but you're not a victim. You know, like we, we are called to suffering and some really difficult things where the world just looks and goes, not fair, somebody bail me out maybe. Okay? So th- those are some. We can keep talking about this. And again, there's, so, there's some nuance here in all of this. So it, this is a tricky thing, which is kind of why I just want to bring it up a little bit. To be conformed to the image of this world. But here's what Paul says in Colossians 3. But you have put off that old self. The old you before Christ was being conformed to the patterns of this world. And just, you signed up for it. Apart from Christ, it's the best we could do, is the image of the world. But he says, but now, in Christ, you have put off the old self with its practices, and you are putting on a new self. You're being renewed in, the knowledge, in your knowledge according to the image of your creator. This coming to Jesus is putting off the old self, that self that is conformed to the world, and putting on this new self. And this new self is being renewed in the image of my creator, being made, formed in his likeness. Or Paul in Ephesians says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life before Christ to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, but to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This idea of becoming like Jesus, being formed, transformed into him is all throughout the New Testament. It's everywhere. Put off the old and put on the new. And that new is being renewed and made more like Jesus every day. So let's talk about this. What does it look like to become like Jesus, to look like him? Because it, it doesn't mean that we all grow some brown curly hair and a beard and wear robes and sandals all the time, right? That's what Jesus would have looked like. Obviously not. So what does it mean to become like him, to look like him? Okay. Okay. Care about what, what God has to say about things or what God thinks about things more than what the world does or maybe even what you do. Okay. What else? To be submissive rather than the opposite of exalting yourself. Okay. Okay. Submission. That's a fun word in today's culture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she said she started with interdependence, in case you missed that very first word. Because when you look at Jesus, his whole thing is about one another. His whole thing is about unity and coming together, where the world very clearly just goes, the moment you disagree with me, we should probably just cut this thing off. If you don't 
vote exactly like me and spend your money exactly like me and look exactly like me, we, there should probably be a healthy distance between us. Where the way Jesus looks at it is he flips it and he goes, no, this is about uniting all different, like, socioeconomic and beliefs even. Like, this is about bringing people together. Okay? Service? Yeah? Okay? It's about service. It's not what I, get, what I can get from you, but it's about what I can do for you. Okay? A very different way that Jesus viewed things. Other thoughts? Okay. Recognizing that like, hey, in, in every situation that I am, that I'm in, I'm an ambassador for Christ now. Second Corinthians 5 talks about that. Like, I'm to be a representation of him to the world. Okay. Was there another thought? Yeah, Jesus had this, this ability to accept people where they were and not, you know, maybe you've heard this before, like love people where they are but love them too much to leave them there yeah. kind of idea. Jesus didn't come in and go, what is wrong with you? Yeah. He came in and he sat down and he would have a meal with them and he would say, hey, let's talk about some things. He, he had this way of accepting people who believed very differently from him, who were acting in ways that he knew was wrong, but the way that he approached it was with grace and patience, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure, sure. So there's the, it's kind of a twofold thing of, one, there's like this relationship with the Father that is prioritized. And then there's obedience. What, what the Father thinks whether I'm on board yet or not, okay, let's do it. Whether I understand why or not, the things he prioritizes, I'm going to choose to prioritize. And here's the thing. Often at first, it does not. To be formed into the image of Jesus, the way Jesus puts it is like this. Die to yourself. He goes, the first thing that's going to happen if you're going to look like me is we got to get you out of the way. So carry your cross, die to yourself, and follow me. And as you do that, you will see the old self dying away and be putting off, and this new self created in his image being put on. Paul in Ephesians 5, he says this, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Like we, if we want to look like him, then we have to do the things that he did, right? 
we have to be imitators of him. And sometimes this can get a little, this do what Jesus did thing. Because let's take, for instance, there's a story where uh, Jesus gets down on his hands and knees in front of his disciples and he washes all of their feet and he actually tells them, this is what it is to love. How would it go over if we just, you just walked into your neighbor's house and said, take off your shoes? They'd be like, ah, uh, maybe don't touch my feet. You know, like there was some cultural things that Jesus did and we go, okay, I don't think I'm actually supposed to go around washing everyone's feet. Maybe there's a point when Jesus calls me to do that with someone. He did it, but I'm not supposed to physically do the same thing, but it's more about where was his heart in it. I'm going to lower myself, humble myself to serve these people. They needed people to wash their feet because they wore sandals in the desert. Feet were constantly filthy. Praise the Lord, someone invented socks at some point. Someone washing my feet is not really a need that we have now, but somebody coming and humbling themselves to serve me with whatever needs I do have, that is incredibly Christ-like. Does that make sense? There's some of the things that we see that he did that just culturally don't translate right now, but his heart in those things, that we can replicate. To, to be like Christ, the way that I've heard it explained that, that helped crystallize things for me, is to be like Christ in your character and in your priorities. To be like Jesus in the character, in the, in the man, or for you in the woman, that you are becoming. That you are becoming like him in his character and in his priorities. The way that he ordered his life. The things that he chose to put importance on. And also the things that he let go by. Does my character look like his character? Do my priorities match his priorities? What does it look like to be made like him in character? What, or, or maybe just answer it this way. What is Jesus' character like? Uh-huh. Okay. Servant-focused, other people-focused, okay? Some of these might be repeats, and that's Okay. Compassion. Humility. Humility. Mercy. Yeah, mercy. Is there one passage of scripture that maybe lists a number of these characteristics that, can anybody think of one? Okay. There's, there's a bunch of one another passages that are going to bring some of these out. You guys ever heard of something called the fruit of the spirit? Kind of a big one. Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Like it, if you can expound on these. Like you, can, you take this and then you get service and you get some of these things. But Paul was pretty smart to just go, hey, let me give them just one quick list that they could spend the rest of their lives working on and they'll be better for it. The character of Jesus wrapped up in the fruits of his Holy Spirit. The things that his Holy Spirit is doing in us as believers, because the Holy Spirit's purpose is to conform us into the likeness of Jesus, yeah? So the fruit that comes from that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the characteristics of Jesus. If we were able to walk with Jesus for a couple days on earth, these would be the things we'd come away going, man, he's so loving, 
and he's so patient. And man, things were hard, but he was still so joyful. And this is the character of Christ, and this is what the Holy Spirit is working out in those who follow him, to become like him in character. What about Jesus' priorities? How would, what would we say were Jesus' priorities? Okay, Jesus had this way of going, hey, the heart is more important than the action. These people are doing these things, but I'm almost not even going to deal with that because until we get their heart, none of this really matters. Okay? Yeah. Okay? Truth. Jesus was kind of big on the truth. Okay? He was always open and honest with people, but also this idea of they have to know the truth because until they know the truth, they can't be set free. And so this sharing truth with others was a huge priority for Jesus. Okay? Meeting people where they're at. Again, Jesus didn't just go hang out at the tabernacle and go, I'll be here nine to five. Come on any day. Jesus went, no, people are hurting and someone has to go to where they are. And so it was a priority. Jesus, you know, was this traveling teacher. The reason he was traveling is because I want to go meet people where they are not be like the religious establishment at the time that was like, we're at the synagogue on Saturdays. Outside of that, kind of leave us alone. Annalise? Okay. Jesus had this eternal point of view. Again, his priority was, and this is something that we can wrestle with, was the spiritual reality even over the physical reality. How many times people would come to Jesus and, and he would say, what do you want me to do for you? And they would say, you know, like, man, I'm, I'm blind, I'm deaf, I've got this injury. And he would say, your sins are forgiven. And, you could, and there's a couple times in scripture where people kind of go, cool, but my back. Um, thank you, but what about, and Jesus was going, this is so much more important, but so that you know that I can forgive your sins, I'll even heal you physically. It wasn't that he didn't care about physical concerns, but he had this, Holy Spirit kingdom view that set his priorities in everything. Because even if they gain the whole world but forfeit their soul, what have they gained? And so there was this very eternal perspective to Jesus. That's really good. What else? Jesus was very clear. He, he, he actually said, my priority is the least of these. I'm actually going after the ones that everybody thinks aren't worth time. And in doing so, he was obviously giving up success because he wasn't going to go after the ones that could make him rich and powerful and that would sell his books and whatever else. He was going, I'm going after the people that no one else cares about. And I know that in doing so, I'm actually going to make the successful mad but I don't care, again, because of this eternal perspective, because I've come to be a servant, not to, to build my own platform or whatever it may be. Okay? Other thoughts? Okay? One of Jesus' key priorities was his time with his Heavenly Father. I, I've 
Mark 1.35 is one example. There's many in Scripture. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It, like, it was so prioritized, it was actually even the first thing he did in the morning. I, I don't, maybe the last thing he did at night, he got up so early. But because he prioritized that time with the Father, this has to come even before all the other important stuff that's going to happen today. In fact, I think Jesus would say, if this doesn't come first, the other important stuff I'll probably miss. He prioritized his time with the Father. He prioritized, we've already said, this service to others. Matthew 20, Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you, among us. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if you're going to follow me, he would say, you have to be like me. And I didn't come to be served, but to humble myself and to serve others. Paul says this, speaking of Jesus' life in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not, uh, not to his own interests, but rather to the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Even Paul's going like, look, the attitude of your heart, the way you prioritize your life should be just like Jesus. Let me tell you about it who existed in the form of God but did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul is going, be like Jesus. The, the, the people in Philippi, they had this selfishness and it's me over you. And he's going, nothing out of, out of conceit or your own self-interest, but instead be like Jesus, who everything he did went around going, how can I be a servant? How can I humble myself and serve? Even though he was God, he became a servant. Jesus prioritized the lost. Some of these things we've already talked about. Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus, why did you come to earth? Because that's where the lost were. And my purpose was to seek them out and offer them salvation. If we're going to be like him, we have to go to where the lost are. Not even just wait for the lost to come to me, but to seek them and offer salvation. Jesus reading from the scrolls in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, and this is what he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, what did you prioritize? The poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. Those were the people that I prioritized because those were the people who need what I've come to offer. And we are to prioritize the same thing. So I was gonna, we were going to have another question to talk about, but I want to get you guys out of here somewhat timely. And that question is, how do we actually begin to experience this kind of transformation? How do we actually engage in this process of our transformation? 
You know, because it's one thing to go, yeah, we're supposed to be like Jesus. Does that mean I just wear one of those old WWJD bracelets? And like, does that, does that do it for me? Now I'll kind of just get it. Or, or, it's a banger. That's, okay. But if I just come to church often enough, will I just start to become like Jesus? Will it happen on accident? You know, will I just kind of like end up like Jesus? And the answer is very clearly no. You will end up in some Christian version of the world. Because that's where all things lead accidentally. No one becomes like Jesus accidentally. It happens through disciplines. It happens when we choose to engage in life the way that he did. When we choose to prioritize the things that he prioritized. When we choose to seek after the character that he put on display. Only then do we become like him. And so a couple tools. Two weeks ago now, we we took this spiritual pathways assessment. If you guys were here, we watched a video and it just kind of walked you through. The whole point was it was just kind of helping us understand what are some of the environments that I naturally connect with God in? Whether that's with people or alone, in nature or um, in service to others. or There was all these different things. And the whole point, it's a man-made test, but the whole point is to help give us some ideas of where do I naturally connect with him? Maybe I should start doing a little more of that. Because it's in, remember, loving relationship with him that we become more like him. Jesus, he prioritized his relationship with the Father, and it was through that relationship that he became who he was. It even says in Philippians 2, and this breaks our brain a little bit, that he learned obedience during his time on earth. He didn't just come going, this is all super simple. He was tempted in every way like we were, and he had struggles, and, but he learned to walk out obedience By walking, uh, boy, that'll throw you off a little bit right there when the lights just turn off. He learned to walk in obedience by prioritizing his relationship with his father, and we have to do the same. So this, again, just a simple test. If you need one of these, I can get you one. But what are some of those areas that, I'm, that are easiest for me to become more like Jesus, to connect with the father? It, it is a slow, gradual process becoming like Jesus. And he is more okay with that than I think we are. We're always like, why am I still stuck here? Why am I still doing this? And he's like, how old are you? How much more life do you have? Like, it's okay. Uh, Rob Reamer, the um, author of Soul Care, he's an Alliance pastor, and he, he says this, it takes one day longer than a lifetime to grow up and become like Jesus. None of us will get it right on this earth. It's what we're to aim for. It's what we're to move towards. But there's always this understanding of the day after I die, then I'm going to get it. And do you know who's okay with this truth? Jesus. He knew this before he ever even called you. You're not going to get it right. It's going to be a slow process. Sometimes it's going to be like, man, it's a sprint and you made some real headway. And other times it's like walking in the mud. He knows it and he's okay with it. We have to give ourselves the grace to be okay with the fact that this is a slow, gradual process. That's where his grace comes in for us. We, we have to learn to practice spiritual disciplines. If we're truly going to become like Jesus, we have to do the things that he did. Jesus had spiritual disciplines, practices that he would do that drew him close to the Father, that helped him to become 
like the Father. And when we think of spiritual disciplines, what are the big two that we always think of? Maybe let's start with one. Okay. What, what are the spiritual disciplines? What do we think of? Just shout some out. Pray. Read your Bible. Okay. Most of the time when we think of spiritual disciplines, when we think of like doing those Christian things, we think I should read my Bible and I should pray. And then most people follow it up with, but I'm not very good at either. And they start to feel guilty, but I don't really know how to pray. Like we get beat up over these. Listen, these are huge. I don't think that you can truly become who you're called to be if you're not in the word and in prayer. The problem is sometimes we act like those are the only two things that matter. We've been given a lot more arrows in our quiver than just read your Bible and pray. So I don't want to diminish those at all, but we teach on those pretty regularly. Those are, those are heard about a lot. Some of the other spiritual disciplines that, that can really help start to spark some things in your life. I, I want to touch on those just really quickly, and then we're going to jump out of here. Two books that I want to recommend to you. This is kind of the classic. It's called The Celebration of Disciplines by, by Richard Foster. And the whole thing is just walking through different spiritual disciplines in really practical ways of like, here's some of the history behind this discipline, and here how's, here's how this has been practiced for most of Christian history. And so it, it's a really incredible resource when it comes to under, not just understanding, but celebrating the disciplines that we've been called to. Another one that goes about it differently, it's called The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. The name sounds very self-help. I actually didn't read this book for about 10 years because I was like, really? Did, I'll cut it out later. Did Joel Osteen write this? Like, what is, what is this? But actually, these books are so incredibly similar. The Life You've Always Wanted just puts the cookies on a really low shelf. And so instead of giving all of like the church history behind it, just goes, hey, what does this actually look like today? And let's maybe lose some of the lingo that for some people can kind of make it seem hard to get a hold of. And let's just talk really practically about connecting with Jesus in, in alone times. So instead of like solitude, just says being alone with Jesus. And so they're very similar. Both are incredible resources. If you're thinking, I, want, I need to get in to more of these spiritual disciplines, but I'm not really sure how, these are really good resources. I can point you to some uh, if you want to talk to me afterwards. But let's just talk really quickly about a few of these. The spiritual discipline of fasting. The discipline of fasting scares a lot of people, and a lot of people are like, yeah, man, I, I see it all throughout Scripture, but I don't really know what to do with it or like how to. The discipline of fasting at its simplest place is a reprioritizing. Jesus, you are more important than this thing, and so for this time, I'm going to give this thing up to remind myself you're more important. Jesus, you are more important than social media. And so today or for this week or for whatever, I'm going to give up social media. Not because social media is evil, but because I need to remind myself that you are more valuable to me than that, than whatever it is I get from social media. Jesus, you are more important to me than food. So I'm going to give up food. I'm going to give up lunch because I want to continually remind myself that I need you even more than I need a sandwich. And it's at its simplest form, it's just this reprioritizing, this reminding ourselves, he wins. I need him more than whatever it is that I'm giving up. And so for this time, I'm going to remind myself of that. Solitude. Jesus would go 
to the empty hillside, alone with the Father, and to pray. This is going to look very different for some of Some of you are wired to the point where you're like, I probably don't need more solitude. I hate people, okay? There's some other disciplines that's going to help you. Some of us, like on this uh, spiritual pathways, relationships is one of the ways that I hear from God the best. I'm naturally a relational person, and I'm always with people. I need sometimes the discipline to go, hey, God, actually, you're all I need. And so I'm going to turn off the phone. I'm going to go where no one can find me, and I'm just going to practice prioritizing my relationship with you. I don't always feel it. I don't always go into it going, I need him more than anything else. You know, it's one of those things you know, but you don't necessarily feel. But I go, but I'm going to choose to practice it because I believe it's true. And so I'm not going to answer the texts, and I'm not going to, I just want to hear from you. And so I'm going to go into a quiet place of solitude to hear from you. Simplicity. Formed into the world means always bigger, better. There's always more. You're never complete. You always need the next thing. And well, sure, you have last year's model, but there's a new one now. And there's this feeling of I'm not complete unless I have more, bigger, better. The discipline of simplicity is to remind myself, again, everything I need is in him. And so I'm going to intentionally go without It's similar to fasting in this way. I'm going to keep my old phone instead of upgrading, even though I'm ready and they keep calling me, asking me to. I'm going to practice the fact that I'm fine, even with the old one. Maybe I don't need the new car or the bigger house or whatever. Like, I need to remind myself of that, and so I'm going to practice the discipline of simplicity. Is this making sense? Confession. Oh, some of you wish I didn't say that. The discipline of confession of going, you know what? I'm actually better off when there's somebody who knows me for who I truly am. And we try to go, no, 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 me and God have that kind of relationship, just no one else can find out. That's pride. But to actually practice humbling yourself through confession. I don't mean confessing to anyone, but to someone. To a safe person in your life to go, I want someone that I don't have to hide from. I want someone who knows the real me, and it is a discipline to open up and to tell someone what you wish no one would know, but there is so much freedom that comes on the other side for those who are bold enough to actually practice this biblical discipline of confession. Two more, worship. Some of us, again, this is natural. This was one of my my other spiritual pathways. It was relationships and worship. I naturally connect with God. I love singing to him. I I do it in my car, in my office, here in front of you. I love this. Some of you, this is not a natural thing, and there's a discipline to it of he is worth singing to whether I feel like it or not, whether I'm in the mood, whether I even like the song or not. I'm going to worship because he's worthy of it, not because even I feel like it. So some of these aren't going to hit everybody. Because some of you are going, no, I can't wait to worship. I actually struggle reading my Bible because I just want to keep singing, you know. Some of us are like, man, I can't tell you the last time that I actually just sang from the bottom of my heart to him. And worship is more than just singing. I, I get that, but it's a starting place. Finally, service. The discipline of service. This week, I'm going to find someone to serve. 
Because my natural is when I get that text or that phone call, maybe I'm just going to ignore it until they get the idea. Maybe like, oh, man, I'd love to, but I'm so busy. I'm, I'm going to choose to say no to something else this week so that I can serve somebody. And then it just becomes this looking out of like, who needs service? Lord, who can I serve this week? It's a discipline. I'm going to be intentional because I need reminded that I'm not the most important. My priorities aren't the most important. Service is. And so, Lord, who am I going to serve today? Who am I going to serve this week? I'm going to go out of my way to say yes. Does that make sense? These are just a few of the examples that are out there. But as we begin to practice these things and walk in these things, we find that our character shifts. Our minds, our priorities begin to be renewed and made more like him. If we just sit back and wait for this to happen on accident, it will not. It takes discipline. It takes death to self. It takes our acts of our will to pursue him and to become like him. A disciple is one who is called by Christ into loving relationship with Christ for the purpose of becoming like Christ. So how do you respond? Where, where do we go from here? I'm going to ask the music team to come up. We're going to close with a song. But maybe you need to pick one of those disciplines. Chris, go ahead and put those back up for me. Or I'm sorry, Emily, if you would. Maybe you need to say, what discipline am I going to start with this week? You know what? One day this week, I'm going to practice one of these. Why? Because I want my character to be like his. I want my priorities to be like his. So I'm going to pick one of these. Don't pick all of them, please. You'll be done by tomorrow morning. Pick one. Which one am I going to practice this week? And I'm going to try it out. And you're going to do it at first, and it's not going to feel natural, and you might even fall on your face. Cool. Not the point. The point is that you're actually moving toward him. He will honor it, I promise you. Which discipline are you going to try this week? If you have questions about any of these, again, I would, I would love to, to talk with you and help walk with you in that. Some of you may need to come and receive prayer afterwards. The elders will be up here to pray with you because you're going, man, maybe I don't even know where to start, but like my heart just, it isn't like his. I read the Bible and like his priorities are so far from mine and I'm not even sure where to start. These men would love to pray with you and pray over you for the discernment of the Lord. Man, back to Romans 12 too. It says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know what God's will is for your life. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we take steps to be transformed, all of a sudden we have this new, fresh understanding of who he's calling me to be and what he's calling me to do. But the transformation comes first. So whatever step you need to take as we respond, and maybe it's just singing, please don't just leave the same. What are you going to take away from this? What are you going to do this week to offer him opportunity to transform you?